the day after Thanksgiving, we as a culture just blitz every mall, every store because they have their Black Friday sales. So what I decided to do is some counter programming because the five love languages, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, physical touch and gifts. For a lot of people, myself included, gifts is the least important. Yet around the holiday season, that's what everyone fixates on is gifts, 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 gifts in our consumerist culture. Obviously you can monetize that more easily than words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service and quality time. So I did an event. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow, I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello, hello, and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Always such a joy to be with you all again. Well, we're going to have a powerful conversation about communication today. One of my favorite topics, such an important topic to talk about with the wonderful John Block. Welcome to the show, John. Oh, thank you, Karen. So great to be with you. (laughs) So John is one of the speakers at the upcoming Portal to Ascension Conference in San Diego on the 21st of April, 21st to 23rd. And I was chatting to Neil last week for people who've been watching the shows, Neil Gore, who is the founder of Portal to Ascension. And he asked me, I had chatted to quite a few speakers over the last couple of months from the conference. I had one week left. I had someone had rescheduled, so I had a space. Who to talk to? And John's the man. Yay! (laughs) Filled the space. Because honestly, what you talk about with communication is just so important. And there's a few areas I want to get to. I know that you talk about, you know, speaking on stage and how to communicate a message to an audience, but I want to talk about personal communication as well with people trying to communicate, you know, what they know um, when they have a spiritual awakening to their friends and family who just think they're crazy and woo-woo. I think that's a really, yeah. Well, we can dial in on that. I have much firsthand experience. I've guided many others uh, through that. So I'll share a little bit about myself as someone who's spoken on 500 plus stages about communication. I've been trained to, uh, or sorry, hired to do public speaking training at HBO and Google. And I, I love these uh, conversations so much because for someone to master communication to me is being a world-class human being the quality of our life is the quality of our relationships and Absolutely. what dictates the quality of our relationships is the quality of our communication right. so there's one skill worth mastering in life it is our communication now you brought up a wonderful point about having a spiritual awakening it reminds me of a quote i was informed of early on by one of my teachers who said that yesterday's breakthrough is tomorrow's ego trip and you have heard that one yourself it sounds like <laughs> so I've definitely had that firsthand experience with my own spiritual awakening where I felt my life is so much better as a result of having this awakening. Hence, your life, whoever I'm pointing at who's not yet had the spiritual awakening, at least in my assessment, their life is missing something and would be so much better if they did. And how I would point this out to them 
would be at times very much coming from a critical eye. And this is where those of us who are uh, healers or coaches and just have big hearts for humanity can really trip ourselves up because what I found is that I could justify any behavior, not unlike how parents can be mean to their kids, frankly, which they'll justify by saying, well, it's for your own good. It's because I care about you. That's why I want you to have this. And what I found is that uh, people felt attacked by me and it made it seem really unattractive and in many ways uh, just not representative of this quote spiritual enlightenment that I was purported to have the fact that I was criticizing them and thought well you better tweak this about your behavior so that you can have a life like mine I mean it's so controlling and repulsive when you actually slow it down a bit and realize what you're doing Yep, I'm hearing you. I did exactly the same thing when I was in my 30s. I'm reading all the books and I've got my brother and sister-in-law living with me and my husband at the time, first husband, and I'm telling everybody that they're a victim and all this sort of stuff. And who was the victim? I was the biggest victim, but I understood the information and it was like these aha moments. And I'm trying to, you know, tell everybody and they just wanted to like kill me, I think. I just basically I had falling out with my family and everyone yeah huge drama I haven't even got into your bio yet John let me just tell people a little bit about you I want to talk about love language too what people's love language is mm. but you know after you experienced some career trauma and did some personal growth courses it sounds very much like my my life you feel that there's no higher calling than to teach people about their powers of communication. And you've been the co-founder of personal, or you are the co-founder of Personal Branding University and the host and curator of the Red Pill Experience, an unplugged revolution, incorporating masterful communicators where visionaries unite. And as you said, you've done over a hundred multiple day personal seminars and personal growth, entrepreneur training, and the founder of Speakers Venture, training spiritual business owners to master their on-stage presentations. You've spoken on over 500 stages and you were named number one top conscious entrepreneur in 2013. A powerful leader in both communication and community, John is a graduate of USC Film School where you studied screenwriting. And you've produced over 42 festivals and conferences and created multi six figure businesses and the co founder of a tiny house community. I'd like to hear about that too. Remind me about that a bit later on. Your mission is to empower disrupt, I've got to get this right, disruptorpreneurs, disruptorpreneurs to gain online visibility, communication, mastery, and a network of relationships to thrive in business and elevate consciousness on the planet. Yeah, so you're, you're talking to mostly people that feel like they've awoken and they feel like they have a message and they want to share that message with the world. So they set forth to be leaders and they have no idea how to do that and how to get that message across, right? Yeah, I would say beyond a message, there is a core transformation of the planet that they are looking to to align themselves with, well, this is why they're on this earth as far as they're concerned. So an example would be, uh, you know, one of our tribe members is someone who worked for a big pharma and had a job at a big pharmaceutical company and would hear phrases like, a patient cured is a customer lost. 
And what she saw was that this is the model, is that you treat people just well enough so that they are satisfied with their purchase of their antibiotics, let's say, and will then keep coming back to you, though, and never once get into the root cause, never truly empowering people. This is an important distinction of empowering versus controlling. Not a lot of people get that there's a big distinction. So this would be controlling versus empowering is really they can live their life without you. It's not as uh, financially rewards, rewarding to, to do it that way. And that's why the controlling comes into play. We see it across uh, organized religion. We see it across corporations and media, how this control uh, dynamic exists between them and their customers. And for the disruptorpreneurs, it's ones who recognize that this control dynamic is toxic. It is damaging. It suppresses the voice and the higher purpose and ultimate self-actualization of people. A disruptorpreneur is someone who's taking a stand away from this and is creating ways, whether it's with natural medicine and boosting the natural immunity, whether it's raising critical thinking and deciding, all right, I'm going to look for investment opportunities outside of my 401k and really empower myself to have generational wealth and break the cycle for my family. Uh, organized religion where it's really based on this love essence and acceptance of others versus this chastising and moral high ground that we've seen in traditional religious paradigms. So all of that is in the realm of being a disruptorpreneur. Now, one thing that is really important is that this audience can easily fall into an us versus them sort of mindset. And that's something really critical with personal branding university and as people involve themselves further with us with the red pill experience and unplug revolution where it is about the deep inner work and coming to this place of love so we spoke about the spiritual arrogance that can take hold shortly after an awakening and the ego part well that's where the confusion is is that there's still this living in the mind and the judging and assessing that can come up with us and others and it's very hardwired into us what disrupts that pattern is a conscious decision and doing the work, I believe, in psychedelics and just every tool available to drop into the heart so that you can really get acceptance is where it starts. And just being with someone, they have the, they could have the complete opposite view about climate change, Black Lives Matter, the vaccine, fill in the blank, whatever issue, to have acceptance and curiosity with that person. That's ground zero. For every interaction, there is no other option. <laughs> That's what we're standing for here. And that, to me, is the basis for being a masterful communicator. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hearing you. I remember, yeah, I've seen this so often, especially in the spiritual community, where people, they have this spiritual awakening or they gain some information they didn't know about themselves in life and uh, and their friends and family are not on board. And so they figure, they think, just easier to like run from my friends and family and hang out with people who believe in what I believe in and like never talk to my family again. And that's that's not what love is asking us to do, right? We're talking like this revolution in love and then it's like their love, sort of their spiritual awakening is creating more divide in their life, which actually happened to me. But what about what about you, John? What happened to you to make you come to you know the feeling that communication is the most important thing we can learn to master 
Well, it's been stated that every master is once a disaster. So while I don't purport to be a master, it's certainly something I work towards every single day. However, I will claim being a disaster. Certainly at age 12, I was teased every day for how I looked. My mother's Chinese. My father, who's since passed away, is white. And uh, I look different from the other kids. So at age 12, conveniently at the time when I'm starting to develop major crushes on girls, I got teased relentlessly oftentimes by these girls I had crushes on for how I looked. I got called ugly every single day for the entire year. I remember that vividly during eighth grade that happened. And I was also a shy kid. I was in my head a lot and I thought about things differently, more deeply than others. So it would take me a little bit longer to process my answer. So people thought I was stupid as well. Teachers themselves thought I was just not one of the brighter kids in the room. So I developed a belief that people are just mean, that people suck. And that if I was going to do something for a career, it was not going to involve people. So I love movies. I decided to become a screenwriter. And I went to USC film school after seeing uh, Pulp Fiction in theaters and I was 14. And that was the first time I could really feel the filmmaker's voice come through. Like there was clearly a person, like their personality was so present through Tarantino. I decided that that's what I wanted to do for my life. And after spending my entire twenties attempting to break in, I got a literary manager, took lots of meetings at studios, ultimately sold nothing. And that's when the depression set in. And for about two years, I went and moved back to my parents' house and would just lay in bed day after day. It was so much effort to get out of bed and take a shower. And then I would just collapse back into bed. And there just was no purpose to living as far as I could tell. I'd hung so much of my life value on becoming a screenwriter. And that time I was drinking uh, a lot and uh, my parents lived in a condo actually. And the nighttime concierge, the guy who worked the graveyard shift, he and I would talk at times and I would come home drunk and just carry on a conversation. He was someone to talk to and in ways that my parents I didn't relate to. It was like, I'm going to come home drunk and talk with my parents about my darkest feelings about life. But he was a very compassionate ear. And one night he says to me, you got to change your whole mindset, man. Because I was carrying on about how life sucks, people suck, girls are mean, and so forth. And he says, yeah, change your whole mindset. And he says, I'm going to give you something tomorrow night. So I'm like, okay. He gives me a DVD the next night of The Secret, which I had never heard of. And I watched it twice that night. The first time, all the way through, just my mouth on the floor. Just Wow. I had no idea that something like this could exist, just having agency over my thoughts and creating my life. And I rewatched it a second time right afterward, this time taking pages and pages of notes and connecting the dots of my own life, all the stories I've made up about myself and money, myself and dating, myself and life purpose and just how life was going to be. I went from having such a stuck mindset to not having this open playing field. So... Uh, people have their different opinions about the secret. I think people in personal development can be um, a snooty as we're talking about and <laughs> find the flaw in things. Yeah, one of my beliefs is that we look for the gold in others and we look for the gold in any book or movie or certainly anything, especially one that has merit to it like this. 
And for me, that's what opened the door is a personal development. And I've been on that path ever since and will be for the rest of my life. The secret was revolutionary, honestly. It was just, people say that it's all about, it's too material. It's all about manifesting stuff and money. But if you watch the two-hour DVD, it's actually not. There is one section about money, but the rest of it is about health and and vibration. And it was absolutely revolutionary, really. And it was a real entry point into for many, for millions of people across the world to have an awakening of sorts, you know, an, uh, an, an expansion of consciousness. And I'm, I just love that it was the concierge that gave you it, <laughs> you know, the guru. For, I love that. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's yeah. Great. Francisco, yeah. the nighttime concierge. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. It happened to me when I was a young girl, I was working on an Island here, Hamilton Island as a waitress and a, and a hostess and, going out and partying and getting drunk and a guy had asked me if if he, if I wanted to go on his little buggy and I looked at him and I sort of didn't fancy him or anything and I thought oh this is probably a pickup but yeah I really want to drive one of those little buggies so I said yes long story short he asked me up to his room I didn't want to go but I went and he had sitting on the coffee table one of Shirley MacLaine's books and he started we sat on the balcony overlooking the island and he told me what was in the book and that was like my first I don't know, spiritual awakening. I think I was about 19 into this sort of stuff too. It's amazing how these people can come into your life and hand you a DVD or talk about a book and it's the start of it all, isn't it? So cool. What happened next? Oh, well, I wish I could say it was sunshine and roses thereafter and not a single conflict the rest of my life. That was certainly not true. Uh, Certainly that integration of what I got from the secret into my life wasn't quite there. I did make some adjustments though, and I decided to take charge and become a music and arts event promoter. So I did really enjoy the community. So the art shows, the local music venues, you see the same people. And frankly, I was missing that from being at USC for my undergrad. So I started to put on these events. I really appreciated the fact that I could have an idea and see it through. Not like with screenwriting, where there's a bunch of gatekeepers and the likelihood of it actually making it to the silver screen was really low percentage. Yet here, if I had an idea as well, I work hard for it, I could make it happen every single time. Book a venue, make flyers, all that. I could just do that every single time. So that's what I did for three years. And while there were a lot of uh, benefits that came out of it, met a lot of amazing people, a satisfaction. And this is where I did lock in with this side of my mission of bringing people together. I do believe that the highest calling a person can have is to bring people together. If you look to uh, history makers like Abraham Lincoln in this country or Gandhi or Nelson Mandela, what they did was unify people fundamentally, bring the different sides together. So that's what this was is bringing people together and i believe that to my core right that that's a big mission of mine and of the people who really impact lives the most and when i was ter- about to turn 30 i had some hard realities to face with my finances uh just were not working you know the events business certainly at that level not a whole lot might be made it's more like gambling frankly than running a business how i might uh, put down 20,000 of my own money to uh, rent the baseball field and have the um, 
permits and the stages and all that. And if it rains that day, then it's you're basically screwed on that. So I took the landmark forum a week after I turned 30. And that was something I did not expect to do. I hadn't done a seminar before. I had this notion that seminars are for suckers and scam artists, but this fellow Ray from the Burning Man community, he uh, was working with me on an event that got the uh, plug pulled out on it. Uh, they had Googled Burning Man and seen a bunch of naked people in the desert and said, we're not going to have those people at our venue. And I was really angry about it because it would have been about $40,000 in income. And uh, the Burning Man community was doing it just to have a great event. So that money would have gone to me on that one. They're bringing their whole community. It was the most stacked in my favor and would have got me out of a lot of financial trouble at the time. And this event got killed by the venue two weeks before. And we had already outlaid and you know, for stages and all that. So I'm talking to Ray about how those people completely screwed us. Why are they so stupid? And a lot of profanity lace rants that I went on. And he uh, says to me, like, wow, you're really ravaging yourself with this. Like this uh, devil is really taking a hold of you. And I used to be that way too. And what broke me free from it was the landmark forum. And I thought that was, like I said, a stupid idea because only suckers and scam artists are in those rooms and I'm, I'm neither. And he said, just try it. So I went to the introduction and something clicked for me while there that actually working with the forum leader, that this could transform my life. And I took the three-day event and I divide my life into two parts, before the forum and after the forum. I'm curious, your experience of the forum, Karen. It was revolutionary for me too. I had read many spiritual books and I knew everything by that stage. You know, I'm, I've got all the answers in me, which, you know, we all do. <laughs> We've got all the answers in us, but are we applying it to our life? Are we applying it? And I think that the Landmark Forum, what it did for me was it, it helped me know how to apply it. It helped me get out of my own way and out of that ego. Um, what did I say? God, it was years ago. It was almost like 30 years ago now, but it's like the mental revolutionary mental technology. I think I called it at the time when I stood up and spoke um, just, just forgiveness, forgiveness. You know, there were three men. I was divorced in my thirties. There were three men in my life who I loved that I didn't speak to. I was having fights with, you know, my father, my brother, and my ex-husband. And here I was this young woman thinking I'm going to attract the love of my life. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking the loves of my life, all men, I I'm not speaking to any of them. So it just, I totally cleaned up that, you know, they said, you've made the messes in your life, like take responsibility. Yeah. You've created the mess, you clean it up. And I did, you know, I rang all three of them and I asked for their forgiveness. Like just let go of who's right and who's wrong and just thought I got to clean up the mess. Yeah, it was revolutionary. It makes me teary thinking about it. And I have to say with my clients, I I do the same tough love. You know, I've done it with partners. If they're hating on their ex-partner or their ex-wife, I'm like, you ring them up and you apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Changed my life. Yeah. Too. Yeah. The cleaning up conversation. I did that many times as well with people that I was out of integrity with. And that's a big thing too. And just to assume full responsibility. And I love that aspect of it that what they did is their business and Byron Katie. So 
subsequent to landmark i did go on a spiritual journey and sounds like she's a, a favorite of yours as well and loving what is she says that there's three kinds of business my business your business and god's business and suffering happens if i make your business or god's business into my business so i found myself uh having had that tendency of making another person's business my business where I would say, well, if they would apologize, then I'll apologize, or they shouldn't have done that. And then that's what led to this. And like, they take responsibility, then I'll take responsibility. And that is a straitjacket to put ourselves in. There's no freedom uh, in that. And what I found again, again, uh, having done Landmark and followed Byron Katie's The Work and a lot of other stuff, that we have so much leadership inherent to any relationship that we get to assume and we get to set the tone of the interaction by being someone who takes responsibility, by being someone who listens with, as we say in Landmark, nothing added, nothing taken away, that we can just be with another person's experience. You know, I've had people yelling at me as loud as they can, as perhaps most people have at some point or another, and I don't get activated by it. I'm like, okay, this is your experience. This is your business. Who am I to say that you should have a different experience of me right now than what you do? It's selfish of me, and this is something that's controversial to some because people have trauma and triggers and all that, yet I believe that we can at least say objectively, without going too much into the weeds, that it works better if we could just give someone the experience of being upset with us and say that's their God-given right to have that experience of us. Now, if they are charging at us with a machete, different ballgame, then <laughs> that is a violation. Yeah, I really have issue when I've heard people say that you're attacking me or they attacked me. And I say, where's the machete? They were upset. They raised their voice. You're making up that they attacked you. Mm -hmm. And it can be challenging uh, untying that for people. Like yeah. those wires are all tied up uh, with them. Yeah, if they are to get responsibility for the story that they're making up called an attack and put that aside, say that's my stuff who's labeling an attack. And just objectively what's going on is that this person, their eyes are getting bigger, the voice is getting louder. That's all. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Really yeah. let them have their experience. And it's so character building too. You know yourself to be a greater leader who's like, okay, I can handle this. What else can I handle? Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. I, I wrote down when I was watching some of your stuff before we came online over the last couple of days, every disagreement is an opportunity for both people to grow. It's something I got off your stuff, but yeah, I think that it was in the landmark forum that one of the leaders had said that he came home one day from work and his wife was like a, all a mess and screaming and yelling and carrying on. And he was just completely calm. And he said, well, when you're done, you know, being upset, let's talk. And I'm, I'm looking forward to having a lovely conversation with you over dinner. And he was just so cool. And I remember as a young girl thinking, God, I wish I could be like that. You know, I wish I could not get triggered by other people else. They're upset, you know, and feel like it's all about me. I think that's what we do, right? They're upset and it's my fault. Right? We get so triggered. And then I read once about a guru and he was attacked by one of his followers telling him he was a charlatan and the guru had said, you know, I appreciate your gift of anger, but I give it back to you. I, I, you know, like again, cool in the face of that anger, 
Uh, yeah, that's real leadership skills because you understand that it's all about what the person's believing to be true. It's it's not necessarily what's going on. Yeah. 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 There is a distinction about holding the bucket for someone. I don't know if you've practiced this where somebody is triggered and has something to get off their chest. So to vent, to not be holding on to this energy, it has to move inside them. So that obviously is a counterpoint. People think, well, am I supposed to stuff it down at times? What if it's not safe to be talking to this person because they're going to get triggered or think it's about them? Maybe it is about them and they're just not able to hear it. It's going to be a big fight, so I better stuff it down. And then this distinction of holding a bucket will come into play of, I just have some things to say. Would you be willing to let me express this? And to my mind, if you have a strong romantic partnership, and I do believe that people, just like with many things, we were talking earlier about upping our standards <laughs> all across the board. This would be one of the standards to have is a romantic partnership where you could say, I would like to have five to 10 minutes to let's say 10 minutes, we'll time it to tell you every problem I have with you and your behavior, just so I can clear it out of my system. Would that be okay? You know, Eckhart Tolle has this uh, statement about ducks, where ducks, well, you recognize this one, uh, will flap their wings to release energy, and none of the ducks think anything of it. They're like, we all do that from time to time. It's a healthy practice. But there's some energy that needs to be released, so then they'll flap their wings and then go back to normal, cruising on the water. And humans don't have an equivalent to that. If someone has to release energy, raise their voice, move something within them, they're like, whoa, whoa, uh, I don't feel safe anymore. And then they'll have this story about this person and like, oh gosh, I thought they're a nice person, but they're really a jerk. They'll make up beliefs like that versus really honoring the humanity of one another. So that said, giving a warning, saying I'm about to release some energy and getting permission from others is a good way to set it up. And then I think we could have these sorts of practices in place. I'm agreeing with you. It's such, um, just as you're talking, I'm thinking about a million things that have happened in my life. And I hope that people that are listening are thinking about, you know, circumstances in their life too. It is so important for us to understand how we're communicating with each other. You know, with my daughter, she often says that I'm yelling at her when I've just said something in a normal tone because in her mind I'm yelling at her because she's yelling at her. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not good mm -hmm. enough is going on in her mind. So if I've said anything that feels anything like a criticism, um, like you were late or something, in her mind I'm yelling at her. So it's so interesting, isn't it? Another thing she believes is, she did, you know, I think I told you she did the landmark forum when we were talking off camera and um, and she hasn't gone back, but there was that part in the forum which has the communication and coming from nothing, you know, we're, we're listening to people coming from where beliefs about them and not really what they're saying. Um, yeah. Can we have a conversation coming from nothing? I just thought that was so powerful because when she speaks to me, she comes from, you never listen to me and you're yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of, I guess, like she's in her 30s now. So, but it's a real teenage mentality, isn't it? It's like, 
mum's always telling me what to do or my parents are always telling me what to do and I'm not good enough and they're always yelling at me or they never listen to what I've got to say. It's something that we set up as kids or teenagers when we're rebellious. And when we grow up, we've got to get over that because it's, I think, what do you think? What do you say about that, John? (laughs) Well, I don't have kids yet, so I'm not able to speak directly to that. However, somebody could say to me, John, you're a purple frog. And I would say, that's your experience of me. Tell me more. Right. Yeah. I would not say, what are you talking about? That's not true. I'm not a purple frog. Who am I to invalidate their reality? It, they could be saying, you're a complete prick. I hate everything about you. You never do anything right. You never follow through on your word. All you do is put people down. Stuff that... <laughs> you were to talk to anyone who knows me even a little bit would know is not true about me. Yet who am I to disregard that person's reality in that moment? That to me goes back to the Byron Katie principle. That's their business. I'm not going to make their business my business. To me, I'm trying to control or fix their way of speaking and relating to me. And that's where I get to really honor their experience. Now, it might be different with a parent-child where you're inherently in a mentor role. So the closest thing I could compare it to, which is reasonably close, would be a coaching client where fundamentally our dynamic is such where I'm there to mentor and guide them. So if one of my communication clients was attacking me directly, <laughs> there I, I go again, <laughs> attacking. <laughs> so <laughs> even I just let it slip right there. If they were uh, upset with me and were speaking to me in a way that um, was very much blaming and pointing the finger. Uh, it would be uh, honoring their experience while at the same time holding them to a higher standard. And how I would probably frame that up is saying that just that I'm going to honor your experience. So what you're saying is that fill in the blank, what they said, repeat back to them. And then whenever that happens, so this is a term, uh, recreation that Landmark introduced me to. It took me a couple years to get this one, but I finally got it. And whenever you recreate someone's communication, the upset that was driving it dissolves. Uh, and then there's actually a space for listening. So it's really the two parts is recreating is part one. And then the second part after that upset's been dissolved is then saying, can I point something out to you, a different way of looking at it? And then having been heard by you and recreated so much, the answer is always yes. (laughs) I believe it's pretty near impossible for someone to say no after they've just exploded on you and you allowed them that experience and then said, oh, what you're saying is and so forth. Then now, if they say, can I offer a different perspective? Uh, they'll say yes. And then that's the opportunity for real uh, connection and growth. And it could be pointing out the lack of integrity on their part in ways that very is fact driven. And I think the compassion is really essential. We get to be so uh our radar is so sharp picking up. And when is the slightest hit of judgment popping up on my radar, like internal radar? 
am I judging? So this is where the emotional guidance system will come in of like, okay, I'm noticing I'm a little bit frustrated. I kind of wish they would get it more. I wish they would appreciate more. Oh, that's judgment coming up. And a standard operating is that the moment we are judging someone, we've lost the right to speak. Lost it. Gone. <laughs> Until we clear that judgment and then are able to speak from without it. Now, this can be tricky, of course, as I, I, I real-time conversations. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I want to repeat that. I, I want you to repeat that because that's that's key. Mm -hmm. we've, we've lost the moment the right... where, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. the moment you're judging someone, you've lost the right to speak to them. Wow. The moment you're judging someone, you've lost the right to speak to them. God, I think that most people live in the complete opposite. I'm judging you and I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. <laughs> and I'm going to be really loud about it. The moment you're judging someone, you've lost the right to speak to them. That can be tricky, of course, you were going to say. Yeah, go on. Yeah, it can be very tricky in the heat of the moment to have that level of self-awareness. As much as we talk about having this radar, noticing emotionally what's going on to catch it before the words come out. One way I've addressed this is to acknowledge I'm judging you right now. I'm just noticing this is what's coming up for me. So Eckhart Tolle spoke about being the witness to your own experience. So his breakthrough came when he said, I cannot live with myself. and realized that there's two separate entities at play. There's the I and then there's the myself. So the self then became the identity construct and then his breakdown of the ego and the power of now that he chronicles. Well, in this case, it would be, I notice that I'm having this experience of judging you, right? That there's like the I is a higher self, and then there's this thing called judging that's going on right now. So they're separate. And there's something about that, that if you're with someone who has done the personal development work, would be able to get that. And this is where us being masterful communicators get to really just lay cards on the table. And this is so much of it is just being transparent with your own experience and just having a high self-awareness and communicating exactly what's going on with you. So it could be, I'm having this experience of uh, I'm judging you. Or I noticed that I'm judging you right now. And the reason I'm telling you this is so that I don't get further aggravated and unload on you because that's not what I want. And I don't want you to feel attacked or belittled uh, by me. So I'm just noticing that this judging is coming on and it's got nothing to do with you. This is all over here with me. Once you get that out of your system, you'll notice that the judging will be less there uh, for you. And you can be back into right relationship with that person and actually have a grounded, compassionate conversation. And all judgment, all judgment is self-judgment. I mean, isn't it? All judgment is self-judgment. I, I, I tell this story. I'm going to tell it here. I tell this story of my cousin years ago came out to, to Australia. She was living in Europe and she was of an emotional mess. Anyway, she started her spiritual journey and um, the rest is history, as they say. But one day we were look, looking down on a beach. We went for a walk and we saw this lone person on the beach early in the morning walking with a straw hat on, and I think a towel wrapped around him and just strolling across the beach. And I remember just gazing at this beautiful scene of these white sands and the ocean and the sun rising and just like in rapture at this scene. If you didn't look at all the ugly flats around, you could have been in paradise anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. 
And then we looked at each other and smiled. And she said to me, what a loser. <laughs> and I thought, where did that come from? And then we had a conversation, a follow-up conversation is, do you judge yourself as harshly as you judge that guy strolling across the beach? And she said, yeah, I do. You know, like all judgment is self-judgment. Like what a loser, she said. And I'm thinking, oh, isn't this beautiful, this scene? Yeah. Yeah, there's at least a 10x multiplier. Uh, I remember when I would be so critical, this is before I did the landmark forum, and people would tell me how critical I was of others. And I would say, are you nuts? This is nothing compared to what I tell myself. I'm letting you off easy. <laughs> exactly. just the hell I put myself through. Exactly. Right? And I'm still standing. <laughs> so what's your excuse? <laughs> oh yeah, I, uh, I saw a video today actually about this uh, Jay Shetty, Think Like a Monk. I forwarded oh, it to yeah. my amazing uh, partner, Monsi, um, the where he says, I'm paraphrasing this, that we believe that the greatest love is the love that is given and shared with another person. However, the greatest love is actually beyond that. The greatest love is to love someone so much that they love themselves more than they ever have. Yeah. Like they love themselves more than before they met you, right? That's the greatest expression of love. If you can really raise their vibration of self-love, that's true, true love. And I will say this about parents and children, having witnessed a dynamic many times and having been a child myself, as much as I yep. love my parents, they are not exactly masters at creating self-love in their children. And there's something to look at there like this love and how they express it with their kids. If it truly was there, their child would love themselves more yeah. and can look at this through some of the choices that children make in their teenage years. Is it really reflective of somebody who loves themselves? And that's where really rubber meets the road. If you're the parent of a teenager making some of these choices that are reflecting a lack of self-love, you can fill in whatever blanks around that, what that looks like on the court. And rather than judging them or trying to control them further, what would be the approach to love them so, so much? I think because inherent to love is acceptance, people tend to think that's enabling or condoning. And that's very much that fixer type of men mindset of like, oh, you can't do that. And it's very fear-based. This is foundational is the acceptance. And then from there, you get to co-create another reality. And I know this from coaching clients that accepting their wherever they're at uh, with me or with their business or whatever, and then we get to co-create. But if I come at them with, you're a loser, you've been at your business for how long and you're only making X dollars per year, <laughs> then I'm not accepting their reality. So I get to honor them and celebrate whatever is working well that's gotten them to this point. And then we create from there. But that's our foundation. And I believe that every relationship needs that to thrive. Yeah. As Shakti Gawain said, uh, relationships are the best personal growth um, course in town. 
don't avoid them. And I would add to that, that having children are even better personal growth course, <laughs> even better than relationships. Yeah, exactly. Acceptance. That's yeah. All you can do. I love it. I want you to say that again. Um, the highest form of love is loving someone so much that they love themselves more. Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is what we attempt to do with our children. I think most people go into relationships because they're needing someone to love them. But with children, I remember when I was a young mom, I was in my late twenties. I, I remember understanding unconditional love for the first time. You know, I'd read about it, I'd heard about it, but I had never applied it. And having a baby that keeps you up all night and vomits in your ear, you know, dirty diapers and all that sort of stuff. And you're still loving that child so much, even though you're so tired and you haven't showered for days or brushed your hair. Yeah, I like I understood unconditional love for the first time in having a child. Personally, maybe other people do it in other ways. Maybe having children, you can have maybe you can have 15 children and never understand it. But um yeah, loving someone so much that they love themselves more. Yeah, you could definitely apply this to your customers uh, as well, where I remember seeing Lady Gaga in concert. Uh, I really liked Lady Gaga before then, and I love Lady Gaga after this concert. And it's because of something she said in particular. It was a fantastic show, yet in between songs she says, I don't want you to leave here loving me more. I want you to leave here loving you more. And that commitment, it wasn't just something she said, it's something she really meant right that it's not about idolizing lady gaga and like oh going so crazy about her for photos and autographs like that's not what it's about you know there's a wisdom there she has that this is a light that's shining on stage that's meant to activate the lights in the audience so you see her light that enables you to see your own light and love yourself more uh metallica is another band that i really really love and Metallica loves their fans. They truly loves their fans. When Flea from the Chili Peppers is inducting them to the Rock and Roll, of, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, he had a quote which I really liked where he said that Metallica has been responsible for unifying more people than any Kumbaya circle ever created. And there's something about the um, well release of energy that comes from the music and then how it unifies people and this everyone i've been seven metallica concerts so I, I know from much firsthand like the sense of unity that comes from that and it's by design it's uh deliberate like certainly at this point their careers like they know how to generate that and that's why i believe that's the highest calling a person can have is to unify people and to activate that sense of love and acceptance Wow. Metallica, who knew? I didn't know about Metallica. But I have to say with Lady Gaga, I've watched her evolution, you know, going from, I mean, where do you go when you're striving for success? So I want to do what I love. I want to get paid, you know, handsomely for it. And I want to travel the world and do all this stuff. So you attain all your lofty goals as she did. I want to change the world. I want to be different. I want to be a daughter. So she's attained all her lofty goals. And so once you've attained, where do you go from there? If you don't reach out and do what you said she's doing, like I want you to love yourself more, if you don't reach out to contribute to others, you basically just kill yourself at that point because where do you go from there? It's like so many people who have become rich and famous, once they've attained their all their desires, 
you know, fall yeah. into this state of complete depression and, you know, commit suicide or go into depression, which is actually what Lady Gaga did as well. She came out and said that she'd been in depression for years, rich and famous and successful and in a constant state of depression. So the only way out of depression is to like give love, right? Right. Well, it's that Forever 27 club since we're talking about pop and rock stars. So the Forever 27 club, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, those five all died at 27. And one might say in some form of suicide or other, whether drug induced or some other way that they took their own lives. And it's because at least in my assessment, that too much of that energy was all directed inwards, like it was all on their shoulders and it was all on them. They didn't like give it back out to people. So Lady Gaga was probably at some kind of inflection point herself where she could either keep taking on more of that herself and then with her weird outfits that she wore at the time. I don't know if you remember where she wore the the meat dress was one of her famous ones. And she was just like out to shock. And at some point she just gave up all that and just put her attention outwards. And she called herself a kindness punk, really taking a stand for kindness on the planet. I remember digging that about her. And she's been on Oprah's like Super Soul Sundays talking about spirituality and of course, expressing herself in other ways too, like as an actress, she was incredible and the star is born. I think those are the ones who really they, um, have longevity. And you know, there's astrological implications to that too, the Saturn return, there's something that happens at 27, that's where it starts. And it's basically an evolve or die kind of thing. Most people are not under that kind of scrutiny. So they do evolve in some kind of way. They either get married or start a new career, you know, very common at that time. That actually was when I watched The Secret was when I was 27. So that's what it looked like for me uh, at the time. And I think that's the trajectory we're all on. This as someone like Lady Gaga, it's just crank louder because the, her platform Yet it is fundamentally about giving it out to others. This is why people turn to philanthropy later in life uh, or having children too. It's about looking after others. Evolve or die. Yep. I think that's where we're at as a human race at this point. Evolve or die. That's it. You've just in a nutshell. Where else can you go? Yeah. That's the shift, isn't it? Evolve or die. Yeah. Oh, amazing. 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 I didn't even ask you what you're going to talk about at the conference. I guess you're going to talk about all this stuff and give people tips and hints and to how to actually apply the knowledge. I mean, it's okay knowing it. It's that application. That's the tricky stuff I found in my own life. Well, this conference, I'm really excited. So I met Neil at my house. I had a New Year's Day party. So it was party or like out of a circle, like mastermind gathering, just dropping in, sharing intention. So a friend invited him. So I met him that day and we had a great natural bond. And, uh, you know, Neil, so just very easy to cut the small talk and go into the real, oh, like, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, right into it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Quality connection, you know, and when he invited me to speak at this event, I got the hit that, there are so many gifted leaders in the room who are probably looked at sideways by a lot of people. 
because there's sure. something in their communication when they're sharing about the thing that they are most passionate about and purposeful about in their life, like their reason for being on earth. Yeah. And a relatively small percentage will actually get it. So what would it be like for a larger percentage to be able to understand these concepts that they are so passionate and knowledgeable about? How would you have to modify your communication so that they can get it? So one reason that my partner, Monsi, and I, we have a personal branding university is that this is part of creating a personal brand that can reach as many people as possible and how you dress, how you speak, and how you present yourself online, which is something that Monsi herself is a master of, Dr. Monsi Shah. Uh, but for me, the communication side of it is what I get most excited about. Some of it has to be uh, about giving up this belief that people don't get me, that I'm a weirdo. It all starts exactly. as an inside job. <laughs> exactly, exactly, that I'm woo-woo. Yeah, actually, that's something that I've had to work with with myself too because, you know, giving up this idea that what I'm talking about people don't understand and um, coming to the understanding that we all innately understand it all. I mean, it's we've just been conditioned out of it. But when we speak about psychic ability and spirit guides and ETs and, you know, highly evolved civilizations that lived on Earth thousands of years ago, like wherever we're going, sonic ge geometry and wherever we're going with it, there's something inside us that does know it, but we just have to get through the conditioning. Like I had Adam Apollo on the show. And oh, I made love a, him. I made a short of him going, aliens, aliens, aliens. Like we've been conditioned that the word alien means you're crazy, you're woo-woo, like that conditioning. And, yeah, and he says, I don't speak to aliens. I speak to star family. I speak to galactic ambassadors. They're not alien to me, he said. But, yeah, it's it's just overcoming the conditioning and, and speaking to the heart of people that, that they they do know this stuff, yeah. Like I say that we're all psychic. How does a mother communicate with a baby who doesn't talk? How does a mother know that the baby is hungry or that it wants its nappy changed? I mean, there's a telepathic communication that's happening all the time. Seth said it in the Seth books I read 30-odd years ago, over 30 years ago, that we're all telepathically communicating all the time. We couldn't drive on our roads if we were not. So it is innate and normal. These yeah, and people can get that we all have intuition. Right. So this is not a controversial statement that each mm -hmm. person has intuition. And mm -hmm. to take that uh, a next level would be saying that you could train your intuition to mm -hmm. become stronger. And this is in the realm of having psychic ability. As far as I'm concerned, we're basically talking about the same thing. Someone with a really highly tuned intuition can sense, all right, that person's going to walk through the door next. That's my intuition is saying that, or this is what I see for you and your career is my intuition. That's essentially what a psychic ability is, being a clairvoyant. This is something I've consciously trained myself in around intuition. That's why I'm using this example where I thought myself as being very perceptive. Remember, it was 2013. I was at a spiritual retreat. This woman says to me, no, you're not. You miss so much. You have no idea. I said, really? And she gave some clear examples and stuff that was going on at the event that I had not noticed at all. And she says, I said, well, how do I become more intuitive? She says, just become a lot more observant. And uh, that's what I've taken on. And consequently, 
not bored at all. Like even when someone won't stop talking, I'd be like, what's behind that? Them like they really have a need to be heard. Okay. I get to be that person for them. God has a plan for me to either cultivate patience or just to practice just holding that space for others. <laughs> and it comes from this uh, commitment to observe more and be more intuitive. And life is just such an adventure. That is so true what you say. Just become more observant because I teach this stuff. I've been teaching it for 25 years, teaching psychic ability and speak to spirit guides and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, these shows came out, The Mentalist, and they said, you know, I'm not a psychic. I'm just very observant. And I thought to myself as I'm watching that, yeah, that's what a psychic is. But you're observing more than the physical cues. You're observing the energetic cues. You're observing the frequency. You're observing the emotions. You're observing you. Like as a as an empath, as a, as a, a psychic, basically when I'm in front of someone as a healer, when I'm feeling sick in my body, I am feeling what that person's feeling. And I'm witnessing that, like I'm observing that but I'm observing it in me. And what we do as people is we go, oh, it's mine. I'm sick. You know, I've got this pain. But often when we're in communication with someone, we're now feeling what the other person is feeling. Yeah, I know. I love that. It's, yeah, it's about observing exactly psychic ability because we're all operating psychically. We're just not aware of it because we're not observing. Yeah, beautifully said, John, beautifully said. You know what I wanted to talk about? I wanted to talk about people's love language. I don't know. I think I was listening to one of your videos on Facebook or Instagram or somewhere, and you were talking about love language. Yes, I I did an event called For Love, the number for love. I did it on Black Friday. I don't know if it's a thing in Australia. Black Friday, is that universal? Where the day after Thanksgiving, that's the start of the Christmas season. Well, I guess Thanksgiving is an American thing. So that answers that question. (laughs) So (laughs) here, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, we as a culture just blitz every mall, every store because they have their Black Friday sales. So what I decided to do is some counter-programming because the five love languages, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, physical touch, and gifts. For a lot of people, myself included, gifts is the least important. Yet around the holiday season, that's what everyone fixates on is gifts, 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 gifts in our consumerist culture. Obviously, you can monetize that more easily than words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, and quality time. So I did an event. We had about 100 people come to it. It was actually a bonfire. Uh, and we practiced these four love languages. So I led sections on each one. And I'll say that for myself, I'm uh, not surprisingly a words of affirmation uh, person. So I'm really big on acknowledging others and being acknowledged. Uh, I have accepted that there's always going to be a disparity of how much acknowledging I do of others and how much I receive back (laughs) because most people aren't as present to it as I am. And I personally operate under the assumption that every person has a ravaging inner critic that is destroying their life at any given time. And if I can give them a respite from that inner critic inner critic that's ravaging them, who am I to withhold that? If I could just give them five seconds of stopping the self-flagellation and it costs me nothing, then who am I to withhold that? 
And other cultures don't have this as much. Interestingly, my mother's um, Chinese. So my top two are words of affirmation and physical touch. And in Asian culture, those are the weakest two by far. It's words of affirmation and physical touch. So there's probably a direct correlation why I seek those out myself. Uh, Chinese culture is very much um, acts of service uh, would be the top one. Is like doing things for each other as an expression of love. Like I don't need to tell you because I did uh, for you. My partner, Monsi, uh, she is an acts of service person. She's from India. So I believe it is cultural. So to her enormous credit, uh, we're speaking about evolving. She has become a master acknowledger in our time together. So I feel very seen by her in that, in that way. What about you? What is your top love language? I don't know, but as I'm listening to you, because I've heard people talk about this before and I haven't really related to it. Like, cause I just feel like, I love everybody and everyone loves me. So I'm sort of not separating it out. Um, (laughs) What what am I loving the most? Uh, Acts of service. Maybe if somebody does something for me, maybe I'm really happy if somebody's doing something for me. I don't know. If they're giving me gifts or what was it? Touching words of affirmation, acts acts of service or. Quality time. Quality time. So how do I express love? Do I acts of service, quality time, gift giving? I really don't know. I haven't I haven't pinned that one down yet. So yeah, what's your love language? Yeah, certainly anyone in a romantic partnership, I would say sooner the better. To me, this is like perfect first date conversation. <laughs> what are your top five love languages in order? And it's a way of assessing compatibility and if you can help each other learn and grow as Monsi and I have, I think that's wonderful. Uh, there definitely can be a dysfunction uh, where one person, let's say, is most responsive to words of affirmation and the other one to mm-hmm. acts of service, and they're not communicating to each other about yeah. this. So mm-hmm. then the words of affirmation person could feel so underappreciated right. because they're not being told thank you and decide, you know what, I really appreciate you so much and thank you for all you do for us. They're not hearing that at all. So they're feeling very unloved. And the acts of service person, it could be, oh, I got your car washed for you while you're gone. Or normally mm-hmm. you'd be the one making dinner tonight. I surprised you by making dinner when you walked mm-hmm. in the door because I know you had a long day, right? That's how that person is going to feel loved. But if this person is feeling unappreciated because they're not getting their words of affirmation, they're probably not going to do those acts of service for right. that person. <laughs> so it's, it is important to talk out these things up front and just it is a service to humanity that we have this framework. Yeah. Right. That's so interesting. With my second husband, I remember complaining to him and I'm not somebody that feels like they need gift giving, but he had never taken me out on a date. Oh, it's two, two, two here. Uh, He had never taken me out on a date or taken me out for dinner or bought any sort of flowers or gifts or any of that stuff. It just didn't happen because as I said to you, I'm psychic. When I met him, I was told he'd be my partner by my guides and I said oh this is going to be interesting I wonder when he's going to figure it out and it took him about four months and um, once he knew we knew like there was that spiritual contract in place so there was no romancing so after like nearly eight years with him you know I'm like when are you going to actually take me out on that first date <laughs> you know, take me buy me flowers and take me out for dinner the absence of the gift giving was notable after about eight or nine 
is. I remember it, it did bother you after a while. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably a conditioning thing again because it wasn't like it doesn't mean that you don't love me, but it's like one day you'll buy me flowers or take me out for dinner. Yeah, I think it's a conditioning thing. But yeah, uh, romance is a skill, just like entrepreneurship so many things in life is just something you get better at over time and with practice and be a good observer like we we're saying earlier and get feedback from others who seemingly have figured out certain things so i believe that uh couples can look to each other more for guidance that was something interestingly when i was single and was done being single i stopped hanging out with my single friends because there was a case of blind leading the blind a bit, even though they'd been in relationships before, it was just energetically, it was enforcing the fact that I was single. So this is getting to some uh, Abraham Hicks stuff, who interestingly, I first saw through The Secret. So thank you again to The Secret, because I've been a devout follower of Abraham Hicks, where it's about matching the vibration of that which you want in your life. So how you feel is extremely important. So I noticed that when I was hanging out with single people, I would feel, well, I'm just a single person. That's how I relate to myself. Mm-hmm. And what I did instead was hang out with couples mm-hmm. and specifically couples with kids, because that's what I wanted in my life. And that became normal. And if there was any part of me that would feel lonely, like, oh, I want that for myself, stop, because then I'm separating myself right. from it. Mm-hmm. So to really say like, this is normal for me to be in here and then taking it one step further, Abraham Hicks has this thing about, uh, she's talking to a woman during one of her sessions and this woman is saying, I've been uh, manifesting my love and he's not here yet. Once again, they get here. And then Esther Hicks says, well, the reason uh, Esther slash Abraham Hicks says, the reason that he's not here is because you insist that he's not here yet. You guys are talking to him like he's right there next to you. You talk to him like the air next to you is as real as the life partner. Like he's there for you. You start talking to him and someone says, who are you talking to? You say, I'm talking to my life partner. And they say, I don't see anyone there. And you say, that's funny. He's right next to me. (laughs) I can see him. Yeah, It's got to be that real for you. So I started practicing that. Uh, Right before Monty came into my life, I started practicing that. I really like... um, going back home from a party and talking with my partner about, hey, how was that party for you? Did you have fun? Uh, what do you think of that guy, Jerry? You think we should get together with him sometime, right? So I love having those conversations when I was married before and in other partnerships. So I started doing that with just me alone in the car. I turned to the passenger seat and say, hey, what do you think of Jerry? He's a nice guy. You think we should get together with him sometime? Okay, not so much. Well, what about, <laughs> you know, Stephanie? She <laughs> We could collaborate on something. And I'd have these 45 minute long conversations. I live in the mountains of San Diego. So I'd had time to really be in that energy of it. And I do the same with a pillow next to me. And I'm really big believer that this is why Monty showed up is because I was being in the vibration uh, of this. Yep. Jumping timelines. I have a friend who, um, long story short, she was a musician. Her mother was a musician. Her mother had said to her, quite quite a well-known musician, um, your forte isn't music, you know, you're good at other things. And so her mother being a musician, she felt that weight really heavily. So she left her country to become a musician because she wanted to get away from her mother's influence. Anyway, long story short, 
she was in her 40s and she had not had a, a relationship, but she sat up at night and she felt like it was never going to happen to her. And she wrote love letters to the universe and decided to turn all her love into like love for God or love for the universe. And she put out this exquisite album called Love Letters to the Universe. But that that whole thing of reciting that love as if she was talking to a partner, but she was sort of talking it to life or to God, this love came into her life and they're happily They've moved out of the city. They've started a beautiful health and wellness retreat and um, they're doing great guns and playing music all over the country together. Like it all happened. The, her greatest dreams and more happened in doing exactly what you were doing, like writing and just being in that frequency of love, like having that frequency of love. And interestingly enough, I knew her partner before she did and he went through this huge personal transformation before they met so that they could be a vibrational match, both people asking for love but not ready for it because they didn't have that sort of love for self and love for the universe. Yeah, it was so interesting to see that unfold. So Absolutely. You know, the other major area people struggle with is with their finances, obviously, so it's worth speaking about that for a moment where that stress about money is the single biggest reason that people continue to struggle mm-hmm. is that stress. Now I'm all for having a little bit of pain to sort of like give us a little kick in the ass to get into action. Yet this is something else. What we're talking about that perpetual stress where there's nothing that you can do to make more money. It's just like, you know, with your head on the pillow at 2am, just thinking about this, like, well, uh, yet that, stress that people put out this vibration of not enough not enough not enough not enough not enough we have to be more disciplined than that and to get that we have agency over our own feeling in our body and that's where it starts and abraham hicks is a phenomenal resource for this she's actually my go-to but no one else i really um, look for this where the guidance that she provides and then can visualize and just be in that feeling every single morning it shifts things a lot and i think oftentimes people especially in the mentoring coaching type space i know what i look for is i would only hire a mentor who's further along than me in terms of money vibration like that's what i want to give my money to that's one of the things i look for is do they have a healthier relationship with money than i do do they have um like from what I can tell, no fear or limiting beliefs around money. Are they solid in who they are? And that's who I want to be more like. And so those of us who are in this space, there's really a responsibility we have to ourselves and to our clients who we get to transform their lives to have a healthy relationship with money, really have a clean energy around it. You know what we haven't talked about? We haven't talked about your tiny house. You've co-founded two, two tiny house yeah. communities. How did that come about? Tiny houses I got into in 2018. And I have my sister to acknowledge uh, for that, that she's been in real estate for some time. And what she was doing was uh, getting tiny houses and she had various uh, homes that she owned, uh, was renting out and then would stick one in the backyard maybe a two 
in the backyard, a third one in the backyard. Eventually, a neighbor complained, and she got uh, busted by county for it. County had to uh, act. So she consulted a lawyer who said that the work around here was to have an RV park where we would put the tiny houses inside the RV park because there's no such thing as a tiny house park, not legally because it's so new. So homes on wheels is basically how it's uh, zoned. So we went ahead and purchased an RV park together in uh, East San Diego, Mount Laguna area. And uh, we put 25 tiny houses uh, there and rent them out short-term and long-term. Uh, that was definitely a learning experience. There were some challenges with the weather. So thankfully we had a team of handy people. I can claim no credit for getting these pipes to work and electricity to work. It was just going through people until we got it right. And what I loved about it was the community, uh, certainly, that being in the mountains, having 25 tiny houses there and the people living inside them. Yeah, they are like on an island of sorts together. So they have to rely on each other uh, more. And the minimalism aspect of it, I really resonate with where, as they say with tiny houses, uh, a place for everything and a thing for every place. So they're is no opportunity for uh well far less opportunity for clutter and hoarding is really out of the question so you're really um having to dial in every purchase and apply consciousness uh to it which i think is especially important nowadays is everything's just a click away and then people that dopamine hit when your amazon package shows up you can't really live that way as much with a, a tiny house so it brings out the best in people uh so i was very proud of that and then the second property we got in Julian, that one's uh, 62 acres. Uh, so the first one's called Tiny House Block, and we have a restaurant on site. And it's really popular with the uh, Pacific Crest Trail hikers, which is another breed of people I have tremendous respect for. It takes six months out of their lives to hike from Mexico to Canada. So we're right on the trail. So we're a popular stop. By the time they get to us, they've been pitching tents in the rain. So staying in a tiny house is five-star luxury for them. Uh, the second property we got is called Banner Ranch Julian, and uh, Julian here is known for its apple pie and apple cider, and it's uh, really a quaint getaway type of place that you would think that you have to drive uh, hundreds of miles to get to, but really it's only about 45 minutes to, to get there, and very popular weekend destination for people. So on that property, we have 17 tiny houses, and we have a saloon. Uh, we named it after my father who passed, so we called it Lucky Lou's Saloon. And we have a wedding venue there as well. Well, there's just so much more to you than meets the eye. You've got so many stories in you. That tiny house thing sounds amazing. Have you got a link to it? Can I pop a link in the Oh, yeah. It's the, um, the name of the property is tinyhouseblock.com. So after my last name, uh, tinyhouseblock.com. Oh, yeah, John Block, and, uh, of course. <laughs> Tinyhouseblock. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it took me longer to come up with than it perhaps should have. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was really set on Petit Paradise. I was trying to convince Melissa. I'm like, this is the one, Petit Paradise. <laughs> she's like, no, not feeling it. I'm like, come on, get, get there, Petit Paradise. <laughs> Uh, so thankfully, we did not go with that one. So tinyhouseblock.com.
Um, and then the other one's called Banner Ranch Julian. Uh, that's the name we inherited. It was a uh, Banner Ranch. Banner Julian. Ranch Julian. Yeah. com. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, it's going to be an exciting conference. You are the last person I think I'm speaking to about the conference. <laughs> I've been chatting for the last <laughs> couple of months about it. Had some uh, great conversations. I can only imagine. <laughs> Covered a lot of ground. <laughs> I have. I have had the time of my life. You know, Neil reached out to me at the end of last year, November, and said, can I book some people in that are going to be speakers and just booked in a whole slew of people. About four of them didn't turn up. One was sick. One, two were sick. Somebody, anyway, stuff happened. But I have had the time of my life speaking to people because he has gathered just the most powerful people. And I've been showcasing New World teachers for like 25 years in events and 13, 14 years on media. And I've had so much fun talking to the people that are going to be at this conference in the last couple of months that, yeah, I would have loved to have been there, but uh, next time <laughs> it's going to be fun. You'll have a ball. You'll have an absolute ball. You'll all, yeah, have a ball and, you know, grow more for knowing each other, I'm sure, for hearing what each other has to say. But, yeah, I think that your work is really important, learning to communicate, learning yeah. to listen. I think it's, you know, communication is all about listening. I mean, being observant because most people come to the conversation with, I can't wait to tell you what I think. And they've got that going on in their mind that they can't hear what you're saying. They're not listening because they just want to put their idea across. But but deep listening and listening on an intuitive, like listening to how the person feels, how they think, like that is, yeah, where it's at. That's that's leadership communication, I think. Yeah. Important yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, I hope people come to this conference uh, for their sake, for the sake of humanity. These events do matter. We have this many light-filled individuals come together at an event. Each person matters so much. And then the collective energy is truly like one plus one equals 11. So you get a few hundred people together. Mm -hmm. What does that equal? And the ripple effect across yeah, humanity. The yeah. Yes. And there's something just irreplaceable about live in person. That energy gets created, the collaborations, the breakthroughs, and just the energy that gets created that can ripple out. So I really hope people join us for this event. That's right. What did he say? Where two or more are gathered in my name. And I don't think it was his name per se, but that name, like what is our name? Our name is love. Our name is God. Our name is consciousness. Our name is unity. Our name is peace, joy. Like, you know, we have many names who we are as an extension of the source. So when two or more are gathered in that name, it's, yeah, exponential uh, expansion upon the planet. Yeah. Well, darling one, it's been such a joy in um, meeting you. Thanks so much for having this chat with me on the show. And uh, I was talking to Neil the other day. We're going to patch a plan to get Portal to Ascension down under. So you'll all have to come down under one day. I haven't been on her yet. I very, very much am going when that time comes. Yeah, it's an amazing Thank you, Karen. place. Enjoy the conference, and I look forward to chatting with you again sometime. Yes, I look forward to our in-person hug. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Bye, you, Karen. What a wonderful conversation with John. John Block, Tiny House Block. That didn't get that that last name. Yes, communication is so important, isn't it? It's just so important. It makes It's what makes the world goes, go around. I think that uh, all conflict is just over poor communication. 
people not listening to each other, people not being there for each other. Such an important conversation. I just asked him if he wants to come into the inner sanctum and and talk to us um, maybe towards the end of the year or maybe next year. I haven't booked him in yet. We haven't figured out a date. And he said he'd love to because I, I think that communication is so important. We just, we don't know how to communicate. We only know what's going on in our, in our own head and how we want to get that out. And we're just not listening. And um, when you increase your psychic abilities or your intuitive abilities, that listening becomes such a profound sense of your psychic awareness, that really listening you listen to everyone. And as we move into a more galactic society one day, don't know if I'll still be alive in this body, I'll come back um, to see it happen as we join our cosmic brothers and sisters who all predominantly communicate through telepathy, as Daryl Bashar says through Daryl Anker, telepathy, telepathy. We communicate through empathy. We feel what the other person feels. And um, my daughter used to say to me when I was young, I bet you can't read my mind. You can't read my mind. And because I used to say, you know, I'm psychic, I can read people's minds, but I can't read people's minds, but I know what you feel. And usually when you know what you feel, you can equate the thought to it. Uh, so it is that telepathy when we start to communicate in different ways and we start to send energy, we send emotions and we send pictures and we send words and yeah it's like a whole different ball game but we haven't mastered as a society we haven't mastered communication at all just by speaking to each other in the way we do because we're so into our own thinking our own beliefs like I said to John the landmark forum when we did the communication course and it talked about coming from nothing when you speak to somebody, not necessarily a stranger, because you do come from nothing usually when you speak to a stranger, unless you've judged them, <laughs> like I don't like the way you look or so maybe they've got tattoos and that means something to you or their haircut means something to you or they're black or white or green or yellow or whatever and you've judged them and then you're coming from your, you're listening from your judgment or they maybe they look rich or they look poor, you're listening from your judgment, you can't hear them. But if you're coming from nothing, especially with the judgments we have with our loved ones and families, like she always says this, she believes this, he thinks this, he never listens to me, I never get my point across. We come from our ideas about people, as uh, Byron Katie always says, you know, I love that John loves Byron Katie. No two people ever meet, you only ever meet your ideas about them your beliefs and judgments and criticism. You never really meet the person. You only meet your idea about them. But what if we can meet someone, really meet them, really listen to who they are with our whole being? That is masterful communication. So important. We could all use a lot of training in that. The cat's been very communicative today. He's been meowing through this whole thing. He's... um. Yes, our animals communicate telepathy. So we can all use a bit of training in that as we move into a more galactic society and learn about our telepathic abilities. Mm, exciting times. John and I had a great chat afterwards about where we're going as a society and I was telling him what I've noticed over 30, 35 years of you know, seeing, being involved in the spiritual community and seeing things evolve and 
I feel like they were on the precipice of huge expansion within the conscious spiritual community. And, and it, we've had an explosion already of podcast shows and podcasts and books and spiritual teachers, but there's even more to come as people start to, you know, do conferences and do gatherings. And yeah, there's more explosion to come. Mass awakening of humanity. Exciting times. I'm getting older. I feel like winding down and this stuff is ramping up. But maybe I'll just leave it to the younger generation. I don't know. That's how I'm feeling lately. Maybe I'll live to 100. I've got 40 more years to live or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, great to be with you all. And uh, Francis Key's coming into the inner sanctum. I can't wait to get John in probably this year or next year. Uh, talk about communication. We're going to talk about all sorts of beautiful things with Francis. And what else is coming up? I'm doing deliberate creation talks. They were by donation on Zoom, but I didn't get too many people participating. So I've just decided to do them uh, streaming on a Sunday night in the Northern Hemisphere, Monday morning down under uh, for about half an hour to an hour, 45 minutes, however long I yak, streaming online. So if you want to join me on Zoom and ask questions personally, you're most welcome to. It's by donation. I did ask for between 35 and 50 uh, by donation to have more that more personal contact but I'm just going to make them public, deliberate creation talks. Uh, join us. I will be attempting to do them every week just to get this information out there about how to be more deliberate and how we create our reality. Communication is such a big part of it, really. And it's about, yeah, really seeing your beliefs about yourself and about life. You, When you change those core beliefs, you change the way you communicate and the way that life turns up presents itself to you it's yeah so important and um yeah i'll have the a new meet your spirit guides course coming up soon let me know if you'd like to join that is also about deliberate creation and about expanding your psychic awareness your awareness in general and tuning into more subtle energy so that you have that awareness of subtle energy which is your own inner being talking to you or your dead friends or relatives talking from another dimension in spirit and your spirit guides or your galactic guides or your higher self having that awareness to perceive subtle energy so that's on tap all the time whether you give that communication to others or you just keep it for yourself i think it's so important yeah so let me know if you want to join the next meet your spirit guides course it's uh, four weeks once a week and i look forward to meeting you there Thanks again for joining and listening and for pressing the like and subscribe button, leaving me a comment. Let me know what you think. I'm always interested to hear what you think about the shows. And remember to check out the book Awakened by Death if you haven't already. Love you all big time. Bye for now.